Hey there, what are you doing? Just looking at birds. I'm your host, Chris. Join me as I interview avid birders to learn more about birds, birding, and those who love both. Today, my guest is Sarah Pike. We first met last year at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival when she stopped by my table and participated in episode 25. A birder of 30 years and currently a tour manager for Wings Birdwatching Tours, She manages 20-plus domestic tours in the U.S., along with Guyana and even a sub-Antarctic New Zealand cruise. Before Wings, Sarah worked with the Tucson Audubon for 11 years, where she was involved with retail, operations, marketing, and even helped launch the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival. Today, she still volunteers with them and helps with the annual Tucson Bird Count. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I know that you'll be doing quite a bit of birding tomorrow, but can you tell us about some of your recent birding? Oh, some of my recent birding was just this morning for Mm -hmm. the Tucson Bird Count. The Tucson Audubon hosts an annual Tucson Bird Count every year, and there's routes all over the Tucson area, and volunteers pick a route that we do every year. And so I went and did my route, which is 11 different point counts up in Oro Valley near my house. So it's pretty easy for me to get out in the morning, get it done. I'm home by 7.30 a.m. But I stop at each location and just put on my timer for five minutes and I count however many birds I see and hear in those five minutes. Hmm. And then I just move on to my next spot. And typically those locations are mostly in like suburban neighborhood areas. I don't know when my route was established, but there have been a few spots that were when I started were desert and now our neighborhood. Uh So it's interesting to see the difference in birds when we do those counts. My other big birding was in January in Newfoundland. Hmm. I went on a wings trip, a trip that I manage actually. And um, I don't know, it just looked beautiful up there. And I wanted to just see something different and lots of different winter birds up there. And St. John's, Newfoundland is just like one of the oldest cities in the North American continent. And it was really beautiful birding up there for the winter. So Nice. What are some birds that you looked forward to seeing that you were able to see there? Uh, definitely the dove key, which hmm. is a little seabird, about a football-sized seabird, black and white. The first time we saw them there, it was kind of flying along these big waves coming in <laughs> along the coast. So it wasn't as easy to see the first time we saw it. But our tour guide was, he was so good. And he would just look for them everywhere we stopped. And we happened to stop in this harbor, a sheltered harbor area. And there was a dove key just floating on the smooth harbor water and we had our scope on it and it was just amazing to see this bird up close but those rough-legged hawks out over the tundra in newfoundland there's i think the southernmost um, arctic tundra Mm -hmm. you can find up there so we drove around looking for willow ptarmigans which we did see totally cryptic in the snow like i can't believe we even (laughs) saw them but um and then after we saw them we were driving back and we just had this rough-legged hawk flying over the van and It was just like one of those gorgeous kind of experiences where (laughs) you don't ever expect anywhere else. There were lots of gulls, Icelandic gulls, Mm -hmm. and I'm not really great with gulls. And so it was really good to be with a tour guide who knew his stuff. And we were able to really study like five or six different gulls at a time. Yeah. And that was 
really helpful. And it really made you appreciate gulls more, yeah. <laughs> the differences between them when you can really see them right next to each other. So. Correct. And you can identify those small things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nice. From the intro, it's clear that birding has been a big part of your life. Can you tell us how you first got into birding? Sure. I was 20. And my cousin, who he's currently a marine mammal biologist up in Alaska right now for the Fish and Wildlife, he was a big time bird watcher way back 30 years ago. And he came down here to look for the Nuttings flycatcher at Patagonia Lake State Park. Mm. This might sound familiar from the movie The Big Year, because I think they did have a bit in that movie with the Nuttings flycatcher at Patagonia Lake State Park, but it wasn't really the park. So I think all Arizonans felt, <laughs> wait a minute, they're showing some other place. Anyhow, he took me down to Patagonia Lake State Park and I just like, sure, that sounds fun. And he was pointing out yellow warblers, vermilion flycatchers. We didn't see the Nuttings flycatcher, mm -hmm. but I was just so amazed that all these little colorful different birds existed. I just never really thought to look at them in a different way. And the next day I was at the Discovery Channel store <laughs> in the Tucson Mall and bought my little 10 by 50. They're not little, they were big 10 by 50 binoculars and a field guide. And my first life list bird was the um, great tailed grackle in oh. the Tucson Mall parking lot. Nice. <laughs> and um, it just kind of went from there. I just thought this is a fun hobby to just I can do it anywhere. Yeah. I don't have to be hardcore about it. I can be hardcore about it if I want. I can do it my whole life. So I just felt like a nice kind of a back pocket hobby. It's always kind of there when you need it. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the bird guide that you got? I got a Sibley nice. Western birds. Yes. And then for Christmas that same year, my husband got me a National Geographic. So <laughs> those were the first two. And I still have my Sibley. And then... David Sibley was here at the Mason Center at Tucson mm -hmm. Audubon doing a book signing, and I brought my original one, and he signed it for How me. Oh, cool. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I started off with the same pair of books, the All National right. Geographic and then the Sibley. It's a good yeah. starter pair. It is a good starter pair. So the focus of today's episode is the Tucson Birdathon. It's something that your team, the Renegades, with a W, you know, play on words between the word renegade and then the bird, Ren, has been a part of for 10 years. This typically occurs from April 15th to May 15th here in Tucson. Before we talk about the Renegades and the Tucson Birdathon, can you tell our listeners what a Birdathon is? A Birdathon is a fundraiser for Audubon societies across the country. It's basically you can take pledges per species or you can take flat pledges, but the goal of a Birdathon is to count bird species and raise money for the organization. Today, the Birdathon is pretty much any way you want to set it up. So some people may just count during the morning. Some people may count species for a full day. Some people may count species only that appear in their backyard. But the goal of it is to take pledges to raise money for Tucson Audubon. Okay. And nationally, how long's the Birdathon been around? I recall reading the first Birdathon might been might have been in 1977. Okay. I want to say Columbus, Ohio, hmm. Audubon. I know Massachusetts Audubon started theirs pretty early too, 1982, I hmm. think. And the Massachusetts Audubon, I believe, started with five guys who they just came up with this idea: let's go count birds and raise money. Hmm. And they went out in a 24-hour period and counted 160 species. And then the hmm. next year they were going to do it again just to raise money and some other folks from Massachusetts Audubon gave them a challenge like, oh, okay, well, let's see who can raise the most money. And I think it kind of grew from there. But hmm. 
it's, you know, it's like an amalgamation of competitive birding, like the big day or the big year. Yeah. I think the first big day when I when I read about it was 1939. Oh, okay. The 1930s mm-hmm. was the first big official big day, the 24-hour midnight to midnight going out and counting as many birds as you can. Yeah. And so it's kind of a blend of that and fundraising for these local Audubon chapters. Yeah. yeah. Here in okay. Tucson, how long has it been going? It's been going since 1987 for Tucson Audubon Society. A lady named Ruth Russell started it for Tucson Audubon. And I've I've been a part of it for 17 of of those years. Hmm. So, How did you get get started with it? Well, I was... Got a job at Tucson Audubon <laughs> in 2005, and the next spring, just a couple of my coworkers were like, "Oh, it's birdathon time! Let's let's go out and let's have a team and go count some birds." And so it just kind of started from there. I've been on a couple of different teams in the early years, and then the Renegades kind of formed ten years ago, maybe, and it just stuck because mm. we were good together and it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. When you think about these different birdathons you've participated in. What are some memorable experiences you've had with birds during these times? Probably, well, for me, the listening to the owls when we go owling, I always find it funny that owling is just a funny thing to me because you're standing around in the middle of the night in the dark with this group of people, silent, you know, just listening. (laughs) Sometimes you may play a call or you may make a little sound to try to, you know, conjure a bird up to come closer, but... It's just kind of fascinating to me that you can go out at night and hear these birds in the dark and they're doing their thing. You know, they're up at night doing hunting and doing their thing. And um, so I think one of the most memorable owling times was last year on Birdathon. We were in Madera Canyon at the top of the canyon. And it was the first time I heard a flammulated owl. Mm. And every other time on our Birdathon, our team hears them. And so with the Birdathon, as long as two people, I believe, are positive, positively identifying the bird, mm-hmm. then it's it's fine. It can be counted for the team. Sure. But I could never hear the flammulated owl. And I just thought, maybe it's my hearing. Like, I don't, I can't hear that level. And they're kind of this low, like, woo sound. Mm-hmm. And probably even lower than that, woo. And I remember standing there with, like, cupping my ears, trying so hard because everyone's like, I can hear it. And then finally I heard it and Matt Griffiths, my teammate, heard it at the same time. And so I knew I was like, okay, if he heard the same thing I heard, we must be hearing it. And I was so excited <laughs> to finally hear this bird after all these years. So that was a pretty memorable experience with How owls. cool. Yeah. So your team consists currently of five members and each one has a role. What is your role? Oof, my role in the team. Well... Fortunately and unfortunately, this time of year for me is really busy with my job, so I don't get out birding very much. Mm-hmm. But I do raise money for the team. I have my own page set up on the Tucson Audubon Birdathon page, so I do raise money. And I think when I think back on all of our years, I tend to be the person who can keep it going at the 23-hour mark. <laughs> um, endurance, I yeah. guess. I bring endurance to the team and a little bit of excitement if we ever get a lifer or, you know, when I saw that flammulated owl, I just, I wanted to push somebody or just be really excited. And so I think I bring a different level of energy to the team. That's a long time driving in the car and trying to look and think and pay attention. And I'm able to still go at the end of the day. So I think my team appreciates that. And I also bring the (laughs) Pop-Tarts. I bring the snacky (laughs) Pop-Tarts. That's good. 
What do some of the other members do? Uh, Jenny McFarland is our team leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she gets the group going at the beginning. Um, hey, guys, we got to get a date. And then we kind of start going back and forth with text and email around dates. And she designs our Renegades logo. Nice. So it's always some kind of Ren with a pirate hat on and some treasure or something. <laughs> so we are able to put that in our emails and on our Facebook page for fundraising. And then she probably gets the brunt of the eBird list management while on while we're out, which okay. is it's a lot of work, but she's good at it and she's fast with it. So, yeah, yeah she probably ends up taking on the brunt of that eBird work. Okay. <laughs> and Tim Hill and Jars, do you want me to go through every? Yeah, please. Yeah, sure. Tim Hill and Jars, he volunteers for Tucson Audubon and he's been volunteering for many years. And um, on our team, he's kind of the back-end coordinator and stats guy. Mm-hmm. So he will rent the vehicle. He's out birding a lot, so he mm-hmm. does a lot of scouting for us just to kind of get an idea of what's where and what's being seen. And he is the eBird stat guru. So he just downloads all the information from eBird and puts it in and kind of helps us plan our route based off of where we have the best chance of seeing the most birds within our day and the time of day and, and location. So he sends us lots of wonderful spreadsheets, which I love. <laughs> I love the data. And he lays it all out so we can actually see, oh, gosh, if we don't see this bird here, then we can go over here and hopefully we'll see it there. So we have a second and third chance sometimes on our spreadsheets to find birds and things. So And we do keep track at the end of our time. Um, he also times our route yeah. to make sure that we go- cover our, all of our locations and at the end of our route sometimes we'll quickly scan through our list and be like oh hey we didn't see this bird so we got to make sure and see it on the next route so tim does that um matt griffiths takes some great photos and his mm. house is the the central like meetup spot. spot so he has the parking and we can park around his place and um he brings the Coca-Colas. <laughs> it's the only time of year I eat Pop-Tarts and drink Coca-Cola. <laughs> and so Matt brings the Cokes. He takes great pictures. And he's also like the steady Eddie guy. You know, when other people are tired, he's always, we can always trust him to drive safely, that kind of thing. And Chris Rohrer, mm-hmm. he is our ears. He's just got the best hearing mm-hmm. for birds. Like he's picking stuff out and we're like, oh, we didn't even hear that one. And he also takes photos. I don't know if he does so much now. He has a lot of photos of birds of this area now. But sure. in the past, he always provided us with the media. And a couple of times he would do live feeds on his Facebook page of us on Birdathon and things like that. So nice. There you go. It's a pretty good summary. I appreciate you allowing me to see some of your team's preparation that you mentioned. I got to see some of those spreadsheets, some of those routes, and they were quite detailed. Uh, The first word that came to my mind when I saw that was the word intense. The depth of planning and the specificity of times down to the minute and the locations were remarkable. Have you encountered any other teams here in Tucson that are as serious about the Birdathon as the Renegades are? Oh, I'm sure there are, but we tend to kind of keep it secret. (laughs) So we were going to ask you to sign a contract. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) To not share it. No. I don't know how much we really talk about it with other teams. Yeah. And it's not even, I mean, it's a fundraiser for Tucson Audubon, but it's still competitive. And I think most of the people on our team are pretty competitive. Yeah. Um, And so I know there's a lot of other people and teams who are really into it. Mm -hmm. And I do know a few others, um, 
Luke Safford's team who mm-hmm. also like plan their route out and really try to go for as many species as they can while other people just take birdathon as like this is just a fun day for fundraising and let's just get together with our friends and so there's there's just all different levels yeah, yeah. When you talk about that competitive side, is there some point where you get a chance to compare your numbers with other teams? Oh, yeah. Well, there is a prize for most species seen, or there used to be. I'm not sure if there is this year. Um, So the Renegades has held that title for quite a few years. Oh, nice. (laughs) So we're we're fairly competitive. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So tomorrow is when the Renegades get out for some birdathon birding. Can you tell us some of the places you plan to visit? Yes, we are starting very early in the morning. We are planning to visit Madeira Canyon. We had some good success last year there with owls, and so we were going to try for some owls there again and also get some other morning birds there. Mm -hmm. Um, We are planning to visit Patagonia area, Mm -hmm. all the hot spots there, the Patton Center, Patagonia Lake, Roadside Rest. Um, We are planning to visit Wilcox Mm -hmm. again this year. Um, and Mount Lemon and a few desert and grassland locations. Okay. Trying to get all the different types of habitats in there. Do these places on your list of places to visit change very often? Most of them don't. Um, The time of day Mm. where when we visit them may change, or we may change up one or two just for fun (laughs) just to see if something different comes out with our numbers last year we did not go to wilcox Hmm. which we found it didn't hurt us a lot we still got a really good amount of species and last year we just wanted to try to drive less Mm -hmm. and so we missed though the shorebirds i mean we didn't have a lot of that we did stop at some other wastewater treatment plants to look for a few things but we just didn't have the concentration that is there this time of year. And sure. unfortunately it's starting to wane even now. So, hmm. but there's bound to still be stuff out there. And we always can pick up extra birds out there. Sometimes we'll get scaled quail hmm. there where we might not pick that up anywhere else, yeah. things like that. So we are adding that back in. And the past couple of years we've added in box Canyon, which is the Canyon you drive through Madera Canyon over to Patagonia. Okay. Um, you drive from Madera Canyon over to Patagonia through box Canyon. And, um, we found that really interesting. We added it last year for the first time. There's a curb built dash. Oh, that's that? Nice. It's so cute. It's such a happy sounding sound. Yeah. Song. Last year we found Box Canyon was a really interesting spot. We had lots of good hummingbirds in there. And, you know, it's just a dirt road through this canyon. Hmm. We were looking for a golden eagle nest. And we eventually hmm. did see a golden eagle in wow. Box Canyon. And there were other you know, wren type species, some, some sparrows up in there. And I remember last year toward the end of Box Canyon, right where you turn off to go to Patagonia, mm-hmm. we stopped and looked at a warbler in a tree and this tree ended up having five different warbler species in it. <laughs> and we were like, oh, this was a great stop for us. Yeah. So that was kind of new for us last year. So we're doing that again this year. So there's a combination of the scouting ahead of time to plan these sites. And then also just that idea of trying somewhere new. Mm-hmm. And then it's turned out very well sometimes. Yeah. And the new is also the new time of day, different times of day too. So we've tried Mount Lemon in the morning, which is always great. Sure. We've tried Mount Lemon in the afternoon, which was sometimes great and sometimes not, mm. depending on the heat. Yeah, really. yeah. Yeah. So time of day makes a difference too. So. As well. Yeah. This year, what are some of the birds that you're specifically targeting? 
Well, since it's a count every species, we are even specifically targeting like rock doves, mm, <laughs> rock pigeons. Yeah. But I think we'll probably be pretty excited to get the thick-billed kingbirds, which okay. are not as common. They end up on the rare bird list sometimes. And the rose-throated bacards, I know mm. we always look for those when we stop in the areas where they are. And I don't know if we've ever had one on our list, but we always look for them. Yeah. Um, and we always have to remember to look for things like Roadrunner. Because there isn't really a spot for Roadrunner. Yeah. You just, sometimes we see them on the side of the road. Sometimes we'll hear them in the bushes, like making their little mew call. And so I think those things we always have to kind of remind ourselves, even European starlings, because they're so not in our mind of birds because you see them everywhere all the time or you just don't see them somewhere. And so by the end of the day, we're like, did we get, <laughs> some of are we sure we got some of these birds that are common in our minds that we don't? think about yeah. yeah 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 speaking of those common birds what are some regulars that you look forward to seeing each year when you visit these oh, places the regulars tanagers um summer tanagers are always really fun to see mm-hmm. i really enjoy seeing the gnat catchers i've mm-hmm. always liked the little gnat catchers um and warblers up on mount lemon i mm-hmm. think we all get excited to find an olive-sided warbler yeah. the red-faced warblers um patagonia the Patton Center, the Violet Crown Hummingbird is mm. always a it's always a fun one to see. And if we can pick out a lazuli bunting there, yeah. sometimes we can. Um, varied buntings are always fun to see. Not as easy to see, but they're always really fun to see. I think we would look forward to seeing stuff like that. Now let's move on to our bird segment where my guests have a chance to share a bit about a bird of their choice. And for this episode, Sarah will tell us about the world's smallest raptor, the elf owl. The first time I heard about elf owls was from your teammate, Jenny McFarland, Back in episode six. Aside from that time, I haven't had the opportunity to see or hear them since. When is the last time you encountered an elf owl? The last time I encountered an elf owl, there was a Cooper's hawk up there chasing a red-tailed hawk, by the way. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just saw it pick it. Yeah. Um, was probably on our birdathon last year, and I heard it. Mm-hmm. So I... The only time I've ever seen a full elf owl was at a Tucson Audubon festival. They had some live birds there, and mm-hmm. the lady had a little elf owl on her arm, and I was flabbergasted at how small it was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the last time I have actually encountered one last year on Birdathon, we heard them out calling in the desert with their funny little elf sound. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll actually play that sound now. When you hear them, are those one of those owls that you have to listen to early in the morning? It can be early in the morning or into the evening, all all night. I think typically when we're owling in the past on birdathons, it's tend to be earlier in the morning Mm because we would start at 3 or 4 a.m. and do our owling. And so I've heard them all times of night, I guess. So people are most likely to hear them rather than see them in the wild. I would think so. You really have to know where to find them. I mean, if you know of an active nest, you can maybe see its face sticking out. Jenny actually just sent us a picture yesterday of, she might've been on her elf owl survey or she might've been with a group, but they did find an elf owl sticking its little face out of its little cavity. And I feel like they're really hard to see. Otherwise the full elf owl, which is small anyway. So 
we don't usually try to get them out of their cavity or anything. Hearing them is fine for Birdathon. I think it would be really fun to see one in action, yeah. <laughs> if that's even <laughs> easy enough to do. I don't know. We've never really tried, but yeah. yeah. So then speaking of where you might find them, where are they usually found? Well, during breeding season, which is this time of year, they're typically along the southern border of the United States mm-hmm. and northern border of Mexico. Okay. All different habitats. They nest in cavities, so mm-hmm. all different habitats. But they're found here now. And then I th- during non-breeding and winter, they're more down into Mexico. Okay. And what kinds of environments are we more likely to find them in? Anywhere where you can find a cavity. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they go up very high elevation. I want to say okay. pine oak. Um, when I read about them, they, they can go up into pine oak, any, anywhere that's going to have cavities in trees. They'll use yes. woodpecker cavities for nests. Okay. And even along riparian areas, um, mm-hmm. a lot of those trees will have old woodpecker holes for nests. Yeah. So desert, riparian, um, low elevation, mountain because when I think of cavities here in the desert, we also have the option of cactus cavities. Yes. And I wondered, would they use those? Even? Oh, yes. They do use cactus cavities quite a bit here in the desert. Uh, Gila woodpeckers and gilded and flickers make their nest cavities in swarrows, and the alfals will take those over. Huh. What do these birds typically eat? Well, insects. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I think that's their main diet is um, lots of insects. Mm-hmm. And that's probably likely... Related to their size. their size, I read online that the size was associated with a juice box. Yeah, they're so small. Four to five inches, wow. I think. So when you see one, when I saw the one on the lady's arm, I just, it blew my mind for a minute. Because I'm like, wait a minute. This is a raptor, and it's an owl, and it is like, fits in the palm of your hand. Yeah. It just, yeah, they're they're nice and juice boxy size, which is, <laughs> makes it sound very tangible. Yeah. So we've talked about where we might find them here in the Southwest. Are they a bird that can be found elsewhere in the United States at a different time of the year? Not according to the maps I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like birds don't follow maps, (laughs) really, and they're going to go to where they're going to find the food. Sure. Typically, they're here in the Southwest for breeding and more south. So I don't think you would see an alfowl in North Dakota, say. Okay. (laughs) That would be a very rare bird maybe up there, and they would be excited. (laughs) Yes, they probably would. (laughs) If someone has never seen an elf owl, we've talked about their size, what else might they pay attention to to identify that bird as an elf owl? Well, if they get lucky enough to see it out of a cavity or even looking, I mean, they have really the big yellow eyes. Mm -hmm. They do have the white eyebrows, Mm. um, little white eyebrows that go over their eyes. They also have that kind of typical owl, like the disc, disc. Mm. I don't know what that's called exactly, but it's like a disc shape around their face, around their face. And their markings are just kind of a mottled gray, brown Mm. rust. um, It's more mottled on their chest. I know they're the wings uh, on their Feathers, the tips have like white dots. So when they're sitting closed, you might see some white dots going down the outside edge Mm. of the wing. But then likely the biggest indicator of their species would be their size. Their size. And they don't have ear tufts. So Mm. like Western screech owls and whiskered screech owls, great horned owls have the ear tufts. These guys don't. Hmm. So one more thing. When I was thinking of small owls, the one that usually comes to my mind is something like a burrowing owl. Mm -hmm. But then this owl is like half that size. Yes. Maybe even <laughs> maybe even more. <laughs> maybe even like a third or yeah. What predators do these birds have to worry about? 
I would think probably other bigger owls. Mm. Um, I know when we've heard great horned owls on Birdathon, we typically don't hear other owls. Yeah. If there's a great horned owl calling, we're kind of like, ah, oh, we're probably not going to hear other stuff calling. Yes. Um, because they roost during the day in the cavities, they probably don't have a lot of daytime predators, predators. unless for some reason there's a very desperate hawk or something that might yeah. be going after it. But um, other nighttime predators, yeah, I would mm. say probably other big owls. Hmm. That was that's just my best guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then when we talk about seeing them or hearing them, typically owls are found alone or in pairs. Would they follow that same rule? I believe the elf owls. When I was reading about them, I remember reading that they do. Um, they are monogamous, monogamous pairing. Yeah. So, if you have a nesting situation, there's probably going to be two around. Sure. Yeah. I don't think you would typically see three or four Collect. very close. Yeah. Do they occupy territories where they would not be close to another pair? Or do you know how territorial they are? I've got to think they're somewhat territorial. I mean, when they are making their calls and things, they're mm -hmm. establishing some sort of territory. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the size of their territory is. But I've typically to... when you've heard them, you might only hear a single pair. Yes. Yeah. Or we might hear one way at one end of the desert and then maybe another one calling back like mm. oh wait a minute there's one calling over here we better establish our territory yeah way on the other side so not usually close not close together yeah. that's reasonable well you talked about them being cavity nesters can you tell us a little bit about their nesting and their clutch size how many young would they typically have they typically one to five eggs mm -hmm. is what i've read and um i did read an interesting tidbit I think it was on All About Birds that they will, they have, I don't remember the type of ant, but they do have some ants that they will leave in their nest to clean out parasites. And they will also capture the night snakes mm -hmm. and put the night snakes in their nest to help keep the nest clean hmm. from parasites too. So oh. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And the cavities obviously are cool, cool. Sure. So here in the heat of the day, they'll have like a nice cool place to be. To be, yeah. yeah. Hopefully tomorrow when you guys are out starting your birdathon, you might get a chance to hear one of those elf owls again. I hope so. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful day of birding tomorrow, and I look forward to joining the Renegades for a portion of the birdathon. And listeners can look forward to hearing more about it in the next episode with your teammate Jenny. I'd like to thank Sarah for joining us today, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow or subscribe. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review to help more people discover the podcast. I'll reach out to Jenny and see if she can share that picture of an elf owl that she saw yesterday and add it to the podcast Instagram, which you can find by checking out at Looking at Birds Podcast. And until next time, keep looking at birds. Mm -hmm.